In this week's episode of Bite Me, we're doing a delectable chocolate coffee cake. Welcome to Bite Me, the show about edibles, where I help you take control of your high life. I'm your host and certified Ganger Marge, and I love helping cooks make safe and effective edibles at home. I'm so glad you're here, and thank you for joining me today. Welcome back, friends. Thank you for being here. I'm so glad you're listening. And this chocolate coffee cake, if you recall, was a recipe that was shared with me from Ganger Lucas from last week's episode. So if you haven't yet heard that conversation, I highly recommend you go back and check it out. It was a really fun conversation about cannabis and cooking and dinner parties and infusion techniques and legalization in Germany. And it was a lot of fun. And I hope that one day I may get to meet Gangier Lucas. But in the meanwhile, he was kind enough to share this cake recipe that I have to admit I made twice. But before we get into that, the cannabis fun fact of the week. Did you know that during the late 19th century, the temperance movement often recommended that people consume cannabis instead of alcohol because drinking frequently led to domestic violence? Now, I thought this was a pretty interesting stat or fun fact. Maybe it's not so fun in a way. I mean, I think we all know that alcohol is often the contributor to domestic violence and violence in general. It may be for reasons that you wouldn't expect. Now, I found this other, I found a couple places. I haven't found a ton of evidence to suggest that people were recommending cannabis, but perhaps they were. But prior to the 19th century, the word temperance connotated moderation in restraint and appetites in behavior. Representations of the virtues, capital V, frequently depicted temperance, capital T, as a woman pouring diluted water into a wine cup. Early temperance advocates in America urged the avoidance of liquors in favor of less intoxicating beverages like beer or wine. Many people believe that small amounts of alcohol could be beneficial for one's health. Now, I find that interesting. I'm guessing that the beer and wine of the 19th century was probably not as potent as it is today. It's not uncommon to go to the store and find a beer that's at like six, seven, eight percent. And wine, of course, well, anyone who's gotten drunk on wine knows how potent that can be. However, this website goes on to say, and I'll post, I'll share this article in the show notes because I found it pretty interesting, but restraint, however, did not characterize America's behavior. By 1830, the average American over 15 years old consumed nearly seven gallons of pure alcohol a year. And for those of you who are metric, that is the equivalent of 31 liters of alcohol. And that does sound like an awful lot. It's basically saying that that is three times the amount that we drink today. Now, I'm not sure when this article was published, because you could question whether that was pre or post pandemic, but I digress. Among urban factory workers, this level of intoxication created unreliability in the labor force, dismaying employers. Well, I can imagine that created more than just unreliability. In fact, it was probably not safe if you're showing up to some labor-intensive factory job and you're hammered, but it seems to be that was the norm. And of course, at home, women and children were the ones that often suffered 
for they didn't have many legal rights and were utterly dependent on their husbands and fathers for support. So not only were many of these men showing up to work drunk and then maybe having to go home or getting injured on the job or getting fired, which might lead to more drinking, but then of course it led to high amounts of domestic violence. So naturally, Cannabis has been used as a substitution for many other harmful substances for a long time. And anybody who's familiar with that term, Cali sober, might be familiar with this idea. So it does stand to reason that cannabis was recommended as something that was safe, way less toxic, more in line with the temperance movement. So I just want to leave that with you. That was kind of an interesting, fun fact that... Even in the late 19th century, they were recommending cannabis as a substitute for more harmful substances like alcohol, and they still are today, despite the fact that it's not legal in many places. So I'll leave that with you. Now back to the coffee cake. Lucas shared this with me, and I'm really grateful that he did. I've not made a coffee cake for this show before, or maybe not ever, but it just so happened that I had infused, or not infused, sorry, everything I think is infused, instant coffee in my cupboard for something else I was making before Christmas. And it only requires a couple of tablespoons, but he did say, I believe in that episode, that co- instant coffee is a great way to impart that mocha flavor that we look for in a lot of recipes of baked goods that we're making. So it is a handy ingredient to have in your cupboard for when you need it. Don't necessarily recommend drinking it, but in a pinch, sometimes it'll do. Now, this particular cake is probably the German Torte, if I'm saying that correctly, which is a cake with lots of eggs and very little flour. And it does take six eggs and only a tablespoon of flour. So that seems to be the classic definition of a German Torte. And it did call for a springform pan, of which I do not own one. And so instead, I took a cake pan and just lined it with parchment paper because it appears that the nonstick cake pans that I have are the worst because many cakes have been baked in them recently. My daughter even came over recently to bake a cake for a friend. And all the cakes I've made in these recently have stuck. They like you literally have to take a knife. I've had cake split in half because I'm trying to get out of these fucking nonstick pans. It's ridiculous. So I lined it with parchment paper, a far better method. But if you have a springform pan, then great. You're already halfway there. Now, I have to say I made this cake twice because I made every damn mistake with this particular cake the first time around that I'm like, I have to do it justice. I have to do it again because this, I mean, it still actually tasted really good and it was infused. So I didn't want to waste the ingredients, but I made all the mistakes, starting with the cardinal rule that I ignored, and I should know better, which is to read the recipe through first before you get started. And I kind of skimmed it, I admit. I did kind of skim it, but I did not read it through. And so next thing I know, I'm beating eggs in my stand mixer, and I realized that I was supposed to separate the yolks from the whites, and I was supposed to be beating only the egg yolks. And then it occurred to me that it probably wasn't going to be made properly if I continued and just tried to wing it. I did look up a a website on my phone thinking like, what happens if you don't separate the eggs and you're supposed to? But then I was just like, "Ah, fuck it. So I threw that out and that was six egg yolks. So I had to get six more out. But this time, of course, I made sure to read through the recipe thoroughly 
and I separated the egg yolks from the whites because you still need the whites. And if I hadn't read it through thoroughly, I probably would have missed that too and pitched those and then really been kicking myself because I would have been out of eggs. But then it turns out, of course, that the icing sugar that was being mixed with those egg yolks went with it. And do you know, I've had the same jar of icing sugar in my cupboard for God knows how long. I'd say years. It's forever. And I ran out of icing sugar when I had to get more out for the fresh batch to go with the egg yolks. Now, luckily, I did have some uh, sugar-free icing sugar. It was like a sugar, uh, icing sugar made with monk fruit or something to that effect instead. So I used all the icing sugar and then topped off the remaining that I needed with the um, monk fruit version. So it wasn't too much of a, of a pain, but I was, as I was scooping out of the jar, I was like, are you shitting me? Am I really going to run out icing sugar? And it just so happened that I remembered that I had these like monk, monk fruit sugars in the cupboard that I bought a little while ago, regular sugar, brown sugar, and icing sugar. What compelled me to buy all three? I have no idea, but I did. And I was pretty grateful for it last night because I thought, you know what? I'm going to end up, if I have to go out and get something right now, like, I guess this is where you can Instacart it or whatever. I've done that before too, when you run out of things. But honestly, like when you're in the midst of a project, do you really want to have to stop and wait for the Instacart person or to hop in your car and go to the store and pick something up because you didn't read the recipe through? Marge, what the fuck? You know better. Seriously. So the other thing that I did, I did to modify this recipe. And you know what? Normally I'm all for modifying recipes and I've realized in this one, that this is not one that you want to modify. And it called for whole milk. I had 2% on hand and I used that instead. I'm not sure that would make a bit of a difference, but obviously the whole milk has a higher fat content, which would actually be better for the infused butter that would go into it. So I would recommend doing the whole milk. My only problem is I do live with my elderly mother-in-law and she does like 2% milk and not whole milk. Although I had whole milk in my fridge, I'm going to tell you this because I know Gloria will never be listening to this podcast, but at Christmas time, we had whole milk and we had 2% milk because she likes a little bit of splash of milk in her tea in the morning, along with her mind boggling amount of sugar. God bless her. We ran out of 2%. We hadn't been to the store yet. So I had opened this whole milk. I had used what I needed for some recipes around Christmas time. And then we poured it into the 2% milk jug and she never said a word about it. I hope I'm not going to hell for that, but that's what I did. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do just to get through life. So you don't have to run at the store to buy 2% milk when you already have whole milk in the fridge. And honestly, I think it's better anyway, but anyway, I digress. The other thing I called for was chocolate preferred 60 to 70%. And I didn't have that. So I used semi-sweet chocolate chips and I did have a square of baking chocolate on hand. So I just combined those to the appropriate weight and used that. I think that works just fine. But if you're out shopping for the other items, I would recommend anyway that you pick up the 60, 70% chocolate. Finally, I used infused coconut oil because I had made this, I had made coconut oil actually pretty recently, a batch of it, and I didn't have infused butter on hand. And normally I would say coconut oil is a mighty fine replacement for many butters in many recipes, but not this one. No, I really feel like butter made it better. Don't use coconut oil. And I found that when I did the version with the coconut oil and the all the other mistakes that I made. But when I did the version with the coconut oil, it seemed like the coconut oil kind of settled on the bottom of the cake. 
And while that's not necessarily a terrible thing, I just don't think it really lent itself to the appropriate texture that Lucas had in mind when he shared this recipe with me. So alas, I made it again and I made it properly and I'm glad I did. Now, was the first version good? Yes, it was. And I think I calculated because I had uh, I had tested my coconut oil with my tea check and it was about 5.2 milligrams per milliliter for this particular batch of coconut oil. So I calculated it to be approximately 420 milligrams for the entire cake. Haha, <laughs> 420. I realized that if I cut it up into more traditional cake sized pieces, it could be pretty potent and probably too potent for me. So I, I cut it up into small squares and it worked beautifully, actually. And I cut it up into small squares, and then I put it in these containers, and I labeled it because you want to make sure you always label because you never know. And I put one of them in the freezer because Lucas said this freeze really well. It'll last in the fridge for up to five days. But I, when he told me that, I kind of laughed because I said my cakes never last that long. I end up eating them. But I am leaving to go to Mexico soon. So I was worried that maybe I wouldn't have time to eat it all before I left. And so I cut up the squares, I left some in the fridge, I put some in the freezer so that would be there for when I got back. A funny thing is, when I was getting this cake out for, when I was cutting up the first version, Gloria, my mother-in-law, once again, was in the kitchen and she was sort of puttering around. She likes to sort of putter around in the kitchen after we've eaten. She helps clean up and, and that kind of thing. And she's like, oh, can I have a piece? And I said, well... Sure. I calculated that each piece was probably approximately 10 milligrams of THC. Not super potent, but it's to me, that's a good level because if you have a low tolerance, you can just take a smaller piece and maybe you want a couple pieces. If you have a friend coming over and they're like, well, I need eight pieces, by all means have that. And it's more like a cake sized piece anyway. If you're feeling like you really want to knock yourself out, you can eat more. That's the great thing about the bite sized pieces. And I told her it was infused. I said, it's infused with, with THC. And she's like, oh, well, the more drugs, the better. And she popped a little piece into her mouth, which was probably like a little half size piece. And I didn't really think anything of it. But later in the evening, I had to let these pieces cool a little bit on the, on the counter after I cut them up because they were still a little too warm to add into my containers that I was going to store them in. And I could see the reflection of Gloria in the kitchen kind of puttering around. And I know for a fact, she grabbed another piece, maybe two. Now it did occur to me that I was like, oh shit, what if she gets too high? I mean, she is on some pretty serious painkillers for some chronic pain that she suffers from. And I thought, well, maybe it won't be so bad but I was worried. I mean, the last thing I want to do is get my mother-in-law so fucked up that she's like having a panic attack or something. I would have felt awful. I also was pretty happy that she liked the cake as well because I was like, what if we could steer away a little bit from some of these pharmaceuticals to help her sleep better with some cannabis? She seemed a little open to it. Uh, I'm happy to report that I had a couple of squares myself. It wasn't too, it wasn't too bad. Before I went to bed, she was still up. And she seemed just fine. So it was a bit of a relief. And that's when I told, uh, that's when I told Chris about it. Cause last thing I wanted was for both of us to be worrying, but I might try or maybe I'll put out a couple more squares tonight and see if I can inquire as to how she slept last night, because she does complain often about not being able to sleep well. Being able to substitute some cannabis for some of those more harmful substances is something I would love to do, but because she's more elderly, she's not quite as open to it. She did get really high off edibles once several years ago. Somebody had given her a cookie at her old place. And she 
uh, describes it as being on the ceiling. And I mean, to me, that doesn't necessarily sound too bad, except the way that she describes it and their tone of voice and the facial expressions lets me know that she did not enjoy herself. So maybe baby steps. What do you think? Should I keep trying to give her a few of these little squares of this coffee cake? She has a sweet tooth. I thought I had a bad sweet tooth, but her sweet tooth is is strong with that one. And so being able to entice her to enjoy a little bit of cannabis, just a little square at a time might be one way to do it. That is something I'll have to work on. Maybe I'll keep you posted. In any case, Lucas's chocolate coffee cake was wonderful. And I highly recommend you try it. It's pretty basic ingredients, icing sugar, eggs, separated, vanilla, sea salt, whole milk, butter. You're going to use butter, not coconut oil, people. Instant coffee, chocolate, cocoa powder, and all-purpose flour. And some of these items, again, the flour, you need one tablespoon. The cocoa powder, you need two tablespoons. So it's not like you're having to use a whole lot. And when it's made as it was written... And really, I shouldn't have questioned it. He is a chef by training, a chef by profession. And here I am fucking around with his magic. But if you make it as it's meant to be written, then it's going to be beautiful. And I think you'll enjoy it quite a bit. Who doesn't love that combination of chocolate and coffee? Oh, so good. So I'll leave that with you for this week, my friends. As always, if you feel like you want to reach out, let me know how your own kitchen experiments are going, how you found this coffee cake. By all means, stay high at bitemepodcast.com is where you can reach me. And if you know somebody who might enjoy this particular episode, please feel free to share with them. And if you feel so moved, a five-star rating or review on any of your favorite podcast platforms really does help the show become more discoverable. So I'll leave that with you, my friends. And until next week, stay high.